millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with John Pigeon in the flesh. Despite belief that John is actually a Victorian and resides in the state of Victoria, that is not the truth. He used to be and he left us. The first part's true. <laughs> you were a Victorian, but you fled to New South Wales a long time ago. The warmer country. Fair enough. But we are together in the flesh. We love just having a bit of a yarn when we're together. We have a bit of a conversation. And today we're going to have a bit of a chat about what's happening in the market and what's influencing the market at the moment. We both operate in different markets in Australia. John is very heavy on the investor side and buying investments through his buyer's agency across different pockets of Australia. I myself am a bit more focused on home buying here in Melbourne. So we have different points of view, different insight. We hope to share them with you today and give you some pointers on what to look out for in the current market. Let's get into it. Yes. So what are you seeing out there, Emily? It's such an interesting time. Mm. And the biggest thing I'm seeing, there's a couple of trends. Number one, the amount of times I've heard people say, I just don't want to pay rent anymore or I can't afford my rent anymore. Yes. So they're being pushed to consider other options, particularly in the inner ring. Mm. For some people, it actually does stack up numbers wise to buy rather than rent now. Yeah. And that we haven't seen that in a while. No, no, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I was actually chatting with someone about this exact thing on a clarity call yesterday and their mortgage was going to be 600K, mm-hmm. so 6%, let's call that 36 grand a year of interest. Uh, they're currently renting what for what I thought was unders, like 450 a week. Yeah. So that's under 25 grand a year. So it's going to cost them about, we worked out with the cost of rates and insurance and everything, about another 17 grand a year yep. to hold that mortgage. Sure. So that was the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. where, okay, this is going to cost me more, but I want a roof over my head. Yeah. I no longer want to rent. Yeah, and I'm going to start a family in a couple of years, so I want that certainty. So sometimes the numbers don't make the final decision, do they? Yeah, I think it's lifestyle and Mm. it it is that security piece. We don't want to be booted out. I think a lot of renters are worried that their landlords can't afford the rate rises and so may be forced to sell. And is the person, you know, the new owner going to be an investor? Do they have to part ways? So there's a lot of... uh, nervousness that comes around the idea of renting for some people and other people just sort of, you know, it is what it is. If I have to move, I have to move. The challenge at the moment is actually, okay, I have to move. Now where do I go? Because it's just like you have to line up to get into these houses. Yeah. And and in this same conversation, uh, we raised the concept of, well, if we continue to rent, we may have to be moving three times in the next three years, potentially. Mm -hmm. So that if you say, right, five grand a pop, there's 15 grand, there's, yeah, that, that's got to be factored in too. And the inconvenience maybe of moving, there's a, there's a lot of mindset at play when you're thinking about that as well, the stress levels and how busy you are at work. And if you've got kids or not kids, mm-hmm. or you've got a dog, you've got to get approval for that. And 
least you know when you've got your own home, you're either allowed the dog in the complex or you're not, or if you buy a house on its own title, do what you want. For sure. The other trend I've started to notice, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is actually mum and dad investors who are coming to the aid of their children in this rental crisis and in this housing crisis to buy an investment property, which is what I call an investment with purpose. And the purpose is somewhere for their children to reside whilst they're doing uni or working in a certain area. And then eventually once they move out, they will keep it um, and hold it as an investment. Now, Mm. I am of the opinion that it's very limiting to put a location parameter on an investment because it can only, you know, go so many ways. Like if you said, look, I need to be within, you know, a seven-minute tram of RMIT University, there's only so many properties in that radius. And I would argue that they're not the best investments. However, this is where the investment with purpose comes in. If it serves the purpose of, you know, helping, helping out and you at least break even. For some parents that have called me, like, as long as you break even, we don't really mind. Mm. I'm like, well, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and, and everyone's version of breaking even is very different. Mm. Like am I going to charge my kids rent when they live there or am I just going to give them a, the security of roof over their head yeah. whilst they're uni? And it was, it's a really common one. You mentioned at the top of the show I fled the, the state, which I did. Uh, but when I was growing up in, in country Victoria, very common for farmers to buy a unit or a townhouse or a house in the likes of Ballarat, Bendigo, Geelong, where their kids were going to university um, and in some cases Melbourne, just for the pure comfort to know that their that their kid had a roof over their head. Yeah. Not a lot of it maybe had a lot of financial thought. Mm-hmm. It was just a case of I know my kid won't get kicked out of the, their dorm or their, their share house or whatever. So, yeah, there's, there's, again, we talk about that emotion versus the financial. It'd be great if you could get all that, wouldn't it? Like um, over time, I think generally in good locations, you will get that financial component to it, mm-hmm. but don't get wrapped up in the emotion of, right, uh, my son or my daughter needs a house. I'm just going to buy them something, not charge them rent. It costs me 30 grand a year when I could go and buy the house next door and rent it out at full rent or what it's worth and have no emotional attachment to it. And look, I think as people probably listening to this going, well, I don't have a parent who can do that. Yeah. You know, I'm on my own here and I appreciate it's not everyone's situation. It is a very nice, comfortable spot to be able to have parents who can help. And some of us are fortunate for that to be the case. Some of us are not. I think it's just interesting to be aware that they are players in the market at the moment. Mm. They are pretty determined to get in. Yes. (laughs) And then you bundle that with ambitious and really keen first home buyers as well as, and we'll touch on migration in a second, but migrants coming in wanting to land somewhere and downsizers and just, you know, the sort of city life coming back as well, particularly in the apartment mm. space, it's a lot. Like there's a lot it happening is. in the market. Yeah, it's it's busy. And, and those, I suppose, second and third generational money coming into the market at the moment, like it's always been there but because of the increased cost of living and, and cost of housing and, and interest rates and everything else, mm. they're, they're coming in their droves and, and I think they've, in a lot of cases, they've got an open checkbook and, and uh, unfortunately, the first home buyer fending for themselves is against this, uh, this wave of um, second generational or third generational money. Um, we're seeing that in Sydney where prices, we, we think it's around, we're looking for a client there last month, 
around that 1.4 mark is going to 1.6 because of that influence. And uh, yeah, it's um, rightly or wrongly, as you said, some have the luxury of that facility, others don't. Um, My preference, do it the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that. You enjoy the journey more or you enjoy the win because of the journey. Uh, But yeah, it's um, the lack of supply is really evident, isn't it? Very much so. Are you seeing that on the ground where, where you operate? Pretty much everywhere. Like we're talking regional New South Wales, we're talking Sydney, we're talking um, southeast Queensland, we're talking um, parts of parts of Adelaide, we're mm-hmm. talking country Victoria. The, the supply is is very short in most areas and, and vacancy rates have risen slightly in a few of those locations but mm-hmm. they've gone from like 1.2% to one6 So they're still getting rented, but the rents aren't increasing at a rate of knots um, in a lot of those areas. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe the exception might be a little bit of that Queensland, like Gold Coast. The the rents we're getting in Gold Coast is phenomenal. Uh, Just nuts. It is for the same. You you buy something there for a million dollars, and and you can get a five percent yield almost. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Whereas you buy something for a million dollars in Melbourne, it might rent for. I don't know, six fifty, seven hundred a week, right? So yeah, yeah. sometimes the market's just the market. Why do we get higher rents in other locations? Sometimes you just can't put a put a uh, an answer to it. Are you still hearing people come to you saying that they're waiting at the moment? You know, we're waiting for this yeah this shift to happen or for it to drop or everything to come off a cliff. Are you still getting a bit of that? Yeah, we are. A lot of buyers agent inquiries that we're getting, we, we had 12 months ago and they've, they're sort of in the background and we check in on them occasionally. <laughs> How are you doing? Have you found something? No, we're still waiting. We're, we're not sure. We're interest rates. What are they doing? Prices? What are they doing? It's, it's basically speculating, isn't it? Speculating what the, their interest rates are doing and it's speculating the market whether it's going to go up or down or sideways. Um, well, they're fence sitting. Let's be honest. They it's, are. They are. Yeah. And and look, you can't blame them because there's been a, a, a massive change in a whole range of areas, hasn't there, in the last couple of years? Like you've you've had this whole COVID thing, you've which has literally turned the world upside down. You've had interest rates go from two to six percent overnight, like ten months in a row almost, or I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, you've had massive price growth in a lot of regions, so to the point where now it's unaffordable for the next generation, and we'll talk about that, I think, in the, today as well. So they're sitting there fretting, and the media is not helping that. The media is saying, "Well, yeah, it's doom and gloom. There's um, the cost of living is going up, interest rates, the co- like your your mortgage is now going to cost you two grand more a month than it used to, and like it's putting fear into people's eyes. And unless you're surrounded by people that are, uh, are positive people that are talking research and logic, mm. it's, uh, it's, it's much easier to just sit back and, and wait to see what happens. The unfortunate thing about that is it could work against them. Yeah. And only time will tell, right? Only time will yeah. tell. But one thing you can guarantee is that if you buy today at a certain price, yeah. you're in. And they can't take that off you unless you stop paying the mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> You've paid what you paid for it. Um, yeah. And if you get some growth, then you take advantage of that. If the market goes down further, say, so okay, live by the sword, die by the sword. Mm. I'm holding it for the long term or understanding what your strategy is. It'll work itself out in 10 years' time. Yeah, indeed. And I think the biggest thing at the moment, um, we've seen this bit of a shift 
happen in the hype of buying property again, not to the extent of, you know, post-COVID times, but certainly the lack of stocks driving price. Even on the weekend, I reported quite a few auction results on my Instagram that people wrote in about. And there were two factors. One, the amount over the quote range that the properties were selling for. And I saw some articles in Sydney as well of some crazy stuff. Um, Glenn posted something actually on Instagram last night. Um, And the other factor is how many hands are going up at the auction. So it's not just the dollars that they're fetching between yeah. two people. It's like one property had 10 bidders on it, yeah, like wow. 10 people. That's nine yeah. people who are now floating around the market. When it comes to this waiting period and then, you know, watching the market and seeing things go really well, the properties that you want to buy are the ones that do really well because when you go to sell, it's highly likely they do well again. The the stock that's really struggling is that sort of C-grade stuff that's just, it's been on the market for ages. Even when people feel like they've got nothing to choose from, they still don't buy it. Yeah. You, you can't put lipstick on a pig mm. and, and change its outlook really. Yeah. You, and, and it's always going to be a C-grade product if it's like on a train line, if it's on a, a major freeway, like those things aren't going to change overnight. An area can regentrify, mm. but... If it's a, a C-grade product in that type suburb that, that is on a busy road or it's got massive slope or flood or whatever it might be, yeah. then, yeah, how realistic is, is for that to change as opposed to going out another suburb and buying something that's a, a good solid asset in that suburb that can easily regentrify over time because that price gap of that town or suburb closer in. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, off the back of that, a lot of people are going, well, when is there going to be more stock to choose from? When am I not going to be competing like I am? And I mean, we were chatting about this offline just before, but the idea of the fact that there's only so many established dwellings that are available, like they've got to build more and people have got to be open to buying newer build properties to get into the market in some cases because there's only so many established dwellings that are up and running that mm. are there. Uh, and there's two parts to this. There's the element of buying new in an established area that could result in medium to high density or buying new in a s- urban sprawl, which is further out of the city. Mm. Pros and cons to both. But I think it's a really challenging time in the new build space. But I think unless we have a portion of the market considering new build, we're just going to keep seeing the demand for the established grow and grow and grow and mm. maybe get away from some people. Yeah, totally. And and an example of the for the car lovers is cars through COVID. Like uh, yeah. the mm-hmm. first time in my life, secondhand cars went up, right? <laughs> what, what even is that? <laughs> Which is crazy. And, and that's simply because new cars couldn't be imported. Like there weren't cars being made because everything was shut down overseas. So... What does that do to the existing stock? Well, it increases its value. Same thing with with housing. So the the supply is a real issue, um, not only now but going forward. And I think, yeah, we threw some numbers around, didn't we? Like there's 400,000 expected to migrate into Australia um, in the next... Yeah, there was some data that came out from um, 
well, it was reported by the ABC, but the population expected to grow by more than 700,000 between 2022 and 2024 financial years. It's faster than expected um, and it's larger due to the international students that are coming over, but then holidaymakers who like it here and end up staying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we put on a good show when people come we, to visit, we so we just make them stay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's actually well ahead. And to give a bit of an insight of ahead of what? Well, pre-pandemic, it was sitting more around 235000 a mm. year. Wow. So it's... Yeah. So there was no doubt a bit of lag there where mm. people couldn't come back into to town or, or, or wanted to but weren't allowed. Yes. Um, so that there's been a bit of follow-up from that. But yeah, just a, a real concern as to how you house these people. But the, the beneficiary is those that already own property because that increases the, the value in your area. But the person trying to get into the market um, that are already living here, it, uh, it, it makes it harder and harder for them. And we've spoken about on previous episodes that the government needing to do something not only for housing in general but affordable housing and, and uh, making it um, available for everyone. And, and we, I think we spoke about the other day with like your, your New Yorks and your Londons and those types of cities where – the next generation or, or th- this generation just don't own their own home. They just rent their whole life. Mm. And whether they get to invest in stocks and contribute to super and buy an investment property somewhere else like is, a, is another um, story. But So for Australia and definitely in Sydney and Melbourne, we, we can definitely see that happening where that generational wealth dries up um, or, or isn't there to begin with and that the next generation says, well, I can't afford to, to buy here so I, I rent here and, and go and invest elsewhere, which is commonly known as rent vesting. Love rent vesting. Well, I love rent vesting. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So there's quite a few factors at play here. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to dive in more around what, what can we do in this market? You know, what are some practical things that people can be doing to be proactive and what do they really need to be aware of when they are competing Uh, in the current environment. So we'll be back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
I want to kick this part of the show off with a bit of a rant. Oh, okay. Strap yourselves in, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got three beautiful kids, Mm -hmm. extremely entitled at uh, this age as they are at 8, 10 and 12, right? Um, They live in a nice suburb. They don't realise that mum and dad weren't always in that suburb. Mm -hmm. They worked their way up to that suburb, Mm -hmm. right? And people might be nodding at the moment or just a bit confused as to where I'm going with this. I think the existing generation trying to get into the market needs to understand that they don't need to buy or or have to buy. Yes, they might want to buy, but they don't have to have their first purchase in the suburb that they're already in because mum and dad got them there. So that's the first part. Because if, if they try to, like take, I don't know, suburb in Melbourne that's nice and leafy, Malvern. Yeah, Malvern, Armidale, yep. If they were going to buy something in Malvern, they're going as a, as a home to live in with a backyard, they might be spending $4 million. <laughs> yeah. It's actually true, yeah. <laughs> so if they were to buy, and that's just not possible for the, for the first home buyer, is it? Look, not unless you've had some serious wins in a business or something, but no, yes. for the average person working at a job or even a couple, four mil is not your first purchase. So if I can rent there with three of my mates... And share the costs and and make it, I don't know, 500 or 600 a week, still live in Malvern, but I can go and buy a property somewhere else that's cheaper, has a better yield associated to it, and I'm I'm a property owner, is that a better option? So my obvious to that is, absolutely it is, rather than waiting another 10 years to try and save a deposit, the problem is there's a lot of homeowners or potential homeowners out there that don't want to sacrifice that. They want to buy their own home in the suburb that they're already living. I think it's such a valid point, but it, it sounds so simple, but a lot of people don't consider it. Like no. you can't just, your parents landed in a certain area over time with hard work. And as you said, where you live right now is not where you started out. And the kids probably don't quite, can't comprehend that. No. And it's, it's not their fault. No, it's not their fault. Totally. But I think the context of understanding that's really important. I'm mm. um, an education of that, but it's, also, if you get used to a certain lifestyle, for some people it's hard to, in theory, go backwards. Yes. So to your suggestion of actually renting in the area, rent vesting, getting properties under your belt in the interim is a great solution. Some people might not like the idea of that because they don't want to rent. No. And unfortunately, the reality is you might have to go backwards before you go forwards. Yeah. And and not only might not want to rent, don't want to rent with others. Oh, yeah. Share, <laughs> I mean, do we get started on share house stories? My goodness. How but, can yeah. I share a bathroom <laughs> with someone? Like who does that? Like uh... <laughs> John, I had a share house in Campbell. Actually, it's a great example. I was in Campbell. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty... A grade suburb in Melbourne, um, similar to the likes of Malvern. And we had a share house. I was living, my bedroom was the old living room. Mm-hmm. The fireplace wasn't boarded up and there were mice that came in. I'm petrified yes, of mice. Yes. I was paying $135 a week. Wow. Straight out of uni. In Camberwell. In Camberwell. And we had one bathroom. The toilet was in the bathroom. I had five five housemates, there's six of us. Yes. And at the time, three of them had partners who were there probably half the time. So wow. at any given time, there were nine of yeah. us in the house with one toilet in the same room as the shower. We did have another toilet, but it got clogged one time and no one fixed it, so we didn't worry <laughs> oh, about no. it. But I, I share house, yeah. if I really had to, I would because I think you do what you have to to you know get by and and treat it as a short term period, mm. even if it's you know a two 
bed apartment where you're sharing with one other, but it's not everyone's ideal. And I certainly think when sometimes it comes with age as well, you certain, hit a certain age and you just don't mm. want to share anymore, which is totally fair. It's not fun. Yeah, it is. And and your example, like you can field a basketball team and a netball team as that many people in the, <laughs> in the house. Uh, but if I had my time again, I, I would be doing that 100%. Mm. Like... It might not be a hundred dollars a week. It, the equivalent today might be three hundred a week each. Yeah. Right. As opposed to seven hundred a week on our own. That four hundred difference is twenty grand a year. Adds up Decent quickly. Decent amount of money. It? Like three <laughs> three years is sixty grand. That's a big chunk that you can put towards your deposit. Yeah. Uh, for an investment property. So, yeah, I just think we've got a, and and I think like fortunately when I first started twenty five years ago. This concept of rent vesting was extremely outside the box, but I was fortunate enough to be told that that was a logical way to go about things. Now it's a necessity. Yeah. And it's almost the norm. Yeah, it has to be the yeah. norm now because of uh, what we've spoken about, right? Yeah. And look, you do get to a certain point. I think most people's goal with rent vesting is that it's a strategy to get them to the point where they do buy their ultimate home and they've got the equity in the other properties to do so. Or they might be a lifelong rent vester. Mm. But I think with the millennial mentality of change being so constant a lot of the time, we really seek change and enjoy change. No longer do we have the same job or the same profession for 30 years straight most of the time. It's usually there's element of change in that. And so the flexibility of renting allows you to try different areas, try different things and not just commit to one house in one area and be strapped to a mortgage and you feel like you've Mm. got to spend time there. It gives you you know, movability, which I think is great. Yeah, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, to, to the the personality, I suppose. But mm. like any situation, you, you okay, it's not ideal. I'd rather be doing this over that. But we look at what the positive outcomes of any decision that we make are. And if I go and do this, there's I'll, I'll be able to go and buy a property in two years or, a, yeah, I, I've got a better lifestyle choice because I can jump on the tram into the city living here, sharing with five mates as opposed to living 20K further out on my own. Yeah, that all comes down to the lifestyle piece, doesn't it? Mm. Sure, you can rent cheaper further out, but will you like it? Will we? Yeah, that's right. So what can we do to combat all of these issues? And um, I think they're real valid issues and aren't going away anytime soon. So that the first part is think outside the square or, or think outside what our ideals are and say, right, can I share house? Can I rent vest? Can I do what I I need to do to save more money, number one? Mm -hmm. And there's probably a lot of listeners sitting there saying, well, we're already doing that. What what more can we do sort of thing? So we talk about this new versus old concept and the, the brand new car versus the secondhand car. As you mentioned, we uh, I interviewed um, James Hanley from Cavalier Homes on on the previous episode, and we spoke about this whole build uh, situation that's going on at the moment, and and builders going bust, and people losing their money, and it's not good times. So people are scared to build, but I suppose the concept of it generally is a good one for a lot of people, isn't it? It's an option. That's mm. the biggest thing, and also when you do build. I mean, unless you're just going with a straightforward volume, it is what it is type of build, you have the ability to adapt the property to how you want it. And that's probably the biggest thing I find with the buyers we work with in established, just like, oh, but if it had this or if it could do that or Mm. 
when you build, you have say to a degree yeah. in what that can look like and it does give you more choice. But as we touched on before, I think it needs to be a consideration because there's only so many established properties you can choose from. Yeah, that's right. And and the, the feeling is though if I'm going 30 or 40K out of town, there's unlimited supply of land is just not true in a lot of places because there's such an undersupply and it takes a long time for land to be registered through council and and. We know that councils don't move as fast as they probably need to to get these approvals through. So, um, yes, absolutely check your supply in, in your local area that you're looking at. But that interesting piece that you mentioned about designing your own home and, and with James I spoke about the, the project home versus the custom build. The custom build is, well, I'll design it and architect it and, and high ceilings and, and the big grand house dream forever home versus the project I've got one of five options and I'm going to go with this one. Do I get much of a say? Yeah, maybe the colour schemes and, and a few different bits and pieces. If you want to add things to it, then they're going to be additional costs, but otherwise it should be a fixed price cost. So um, you've, you've got some choice in that space and it can work out quite beneficial from a, a costing point of view because you know what you're paying for the land, you know what the build is but you also know that you're paying less for the land because it's further out of town. Just on that, I think there's a myth or an illusion that custom build is like a lot more expensive than a volume build. The way that volume builds are marketed are on their base package and all the add-ons, anything you want extra, the moment you want to change something, add something, do something different, that's where the costs start to add up. And so on balance, and I don't know the numbers personally because I'm not heavily involved in house and land packages, but from my experience of hearing others, uh, it's certainly a bit of a myth in the industry that volume build is just the safe way to go. It's cheap, it's known. I think custom on balance when you actually get what you want and, you know, you're paying for it and it's most likely a local builder mm. that only has a certain number of projects. It's not like a McDonald's where they're pumping them out. It's like a specialised burger place, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. the difference between the two. And it's it's like anything in life. If you go to something that's custom, you're going to get what you want. Um, and the price difference, I don't believe on balance is drastically different. There's so many different options out there. I think that's what confuses everyone is, yeah. is there's different builders and different designs and, and different marketing materials that, mm. that make it sound better than it is. And um, as you mentioned, the fixed price starts from, which is not the, the top end price, it's the low end price. Uh, but yeah, there, there is a really cheap and nasty, not not necessarily nasty, it's a, it's a full house and you it should be waterproof and everything else. But it's got very low low end uh, finishings on it versus the high end project home that will have the bells and whistles but you just don't get to design the layout per se whereas the custom you can you can meet it maybe the same price as a high end project but you get to design the layout of it and it really comes down to the size the square meterage and and without replaying the episode go back and have a listen, but we, uh, I spoke to James about the price per square metre. So if you're wanting to build a, uh, a 400 square metre home versus a 200 square metre home because you want more bedrooms and larger living areas and alfrescos and all those sort of things, you're going to pay for that just simply because it's 200 square bigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So understanding that price per square metre. But wheeling back around, um, yeah, it, it, you definitely need to put it into the mix when you're sitting on the on the in the office and saying, right, what are my options? What can I spend? 
Um, is that now an option? Does it fit within my price point? I think the other point to touch on with new builds is it's not just house and land packages. Like we've worked with a couple of people recently where they're looking at it. They're technically off the plan because they haven't been titled officially yet, but they're apartments that are at completion stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean an apartment in a high rise building. We're not looking at cookie cutter type of things. We're looking at boutique, maybe, you know, less than 40 in the block, which in Melbourne is boutique, it's medium yes. density. But what's been most important in that experience of going through due diligence on those blocks not only checking the developers and the builders out, but also who's buying into this block. And there's some that particularly attract first home buyers. They're around that sort of six to six fifty mark. There's cashback benefits for grants, ten thousand dollars for metro areas for new builds. There's uh, stamp duty uh, exemptions and concessions, yep. and so you actually end up with a community within a suburb that's actually not that far out. Mm. And I think outside of house and land packages, these medium density buildings will become more popular because they're a good halfway, literally, like geographically, but also price-wise, they're a Mm. good halfway between lifestyle, amenity, all that sort of thing. You have to be careful with them. Like I'm not going ahead and saying they're a great thing, go and Mm. buy one of those. We've been very selective in the blocks that we've um, bought in, but they're a great solution for those people who don't want to be so far out. Yeah, well, it's it's affordability, isn't it, number Mm. one? Knowing that owner, Ock, um, like the the same happens in like newer estates further out, don't they? Where they that they, they all meet at that price point. It's like, oh, I'm starting a family. Yeah, so am I. I want a school. Oh yeah, they're building a school. So yeah, we decide decide to buy here because of the school and the the location and whatever else and the price point. Mm-hmm. So same things happening in a city or, or closer into town, but in that smaller type living in, a, in an apartment form. Yeah, it's a vertical um, community rather than a horizontal <laughs> yes, one. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And as you mentioned with the um, medium density that uh, the number in the complex is a, is a big factor, isn't it? You don't want to be going into something with three or 400 in the, in the complex. Absolutely not. Um, and, you know, for some people, like the idea of a townhouse becomes a good halfway sort of mm. point, not an apartment, not a full house. However, what I'm noticing is the cost to acquire the land in the first instance is not quite adding up for developers at the moment in the sort of middle ring. I'm talking like 15Ks out from the CBD. Um, And so I'm actually seeing less and less new build townhouses in first home buyer territory pop up. They're now making them like lux, like they're making them high end to attract a higher price point uh, to more so not be first home buyer, but maybe even second time buyer. Yeah, the upsizer. Upsizer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that point about the developers, it, it's not worthwhile them building now because the holding costs are greater. That, and, and there's a lot of uh, blocks that are sitting empty and vacant mm-hmm. and for sale because the developers can't see any money in them right now because what they were holding at at 2% is now 6%. We mentioned at the start of the show. So all of a sudden that's a deal breaker based on their holding costs for the development that might take three even four years by the, from start to finish when they're in council and then start the build. So that hurts our supply again, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And then it's just land sitting there vacant that, you know, mm. maybe someone will build their dream house on but that's going to cost them a lot to acquire. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's challenging. But I think, you know, the biggest thing from today's episode in having a chat about the market and where it's heading and what's happening is that, you need to know your options. You need to know what's suitable for your game plan moving ahead. 
lay them out on a table, particularly if you're buying with a partner. Oh my gosh, the amount of partners that I speak to who are just not on the same page, get that sorted first. Like (laughs) get on the same page. If you need a clarity call, speak to John. If you need life advice, I don't know, seek out a podcast. (laughs) I I do plenty of that as well. Don't worry. (laughs) Sometimes the clarity call feels like a counseling session without having the qualification. Um, But look, it it is that third party without emotion. But yeah, you're right. You need to be on the same page and, and going in the same direction. And that doesn't mean pull the other partner by the neck kicking and screaming mm. reluctantly because that's not going to work out well either. But, yeah, it's uh, when you can pull your resources, you uh, it's amazing what you can do. Yeah. So I think know your facts, understand your limits, get a good broker on board. That goes without saying. I mean, make sure your finances are in order. And trying to navigate this market, I think my biggest piece of advice would be be prepared to act swiftly but not in a rush. Like – Ducks lined up. You don't want to just put an offering on the first place you see, but you need to be prepared to move swiftly if things are going to work. Yeah, and I think the people that I'm speaking to now, they're holding off because of these fixed price uh, rates coming off later in the year or well, they're starting to take effect now. So they believe that the, there might be some blood on the streets because of all these fixed rates come off. We're now paying 6% instead of 2 so we have to sell the property. Okay, my two cents worth on that in finishing is I don't think there'll be blood on the streets purely because of the lack of supply now. Yes, there'll be more stock come on, but the, the bad stock will still sit around and the good stock will still go quickly. And they'll also mean there'll be more buyers in the market at that time as well because those people have been sitting on the fence waiting for these purchases to come. So I don't think you should expect a discount, massive discount um, later in the year if we're thinking about holding off. Yeah, I think I I would personally be a bit shocked if we saw a drop from now. Mm. I don't think that's coming. All indicators point to not enough supply, still huge demand and more coming from, you know, other borders. Like that's the biggest thing. We're not just competing with each other. You know, people are flocking here because Australia is a great place to live. So Mm, yeah. That's not changing anytime soon. All right. Good chat. Good chat. Hopefully you've taken some value from today. And I think just a point to, I said to John before we jumped on, I'm like, I don't think people realize John. John runs a buyer's agency in investment, whereas I am more on the first homeowner ship path. And it's really important to know that John does buy investments because sometimes people book a call with me and they're like, Emily, want to buy something? I'm like, you're speaking to the wrong person. I think we make it pretty clear, but maybe we only mention it every handful of episodes. And if people only tune into one, then, you know, yeah, you're investor focused. You're the numbers man. I'm the the heart girl. (laughs) (laughs) I've got no heart, just soul. (laughs) John has a heart too, but he's more numbers than heart. Yeah, no emotion. Just get it done. Totally. So just for your your reference, Mm. if you have any questions or you want a specialist for us to interview on any particular topic, please write into us, jump on the Facebook group, the My Millennial Money Facebook group and tag us in there. We love hearing from you and we want to know what you want to hear about. So let us know. But until next week. Thank you. Thank you.
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 